not, you can grab some information on your way out today. But we have entered into a 21-day season of prayer and fasting. Who is aware that we have done that? As a whole, okay, so 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is something that the whole four-square denomination across the world does for the first 21 days of January, is to seek the Lord. At the four-square website, I've sent a link and an email. If you still need it, let me know. There's a chance to sign up to get daily prayer updates, things to be praying about, short little devotional considerations, but it's a way for us collectively to pray together across the world. Like today, they're asking us to pray for people who don't know Jesus, who are 65 and older, that there are people that are shut in and are shut out of relationship. And can we pray for open doors for people who are seniors to receive the hope of the gospel? So as the whole world prays that way, um, God tends to do things. They've also called us, our denomination, our church is calling us to a time of prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about fasting uh, over the course of the next two weeks. And we're going to have just a discussion of what that looks like for us in this season. Um, And so I want to share some thoughts, some devotional thoughts with you this morning as we get going. So Lord Jesus, uh, take, take this time, Lord, take our hearts, take our desire to reach people with the truth of your gospel. And do what you would do with it. Not our plans, Lord, but your plans. Not our understanding, but your understanding. Uh, Lord, do with it as you would as we commit ourselves to you and to your teachings and to our relationships with each other. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday, we had an opportunity to reflect on 2019. We weren't here for that, but that's something that I've been doing a lot of, is just reflecting back on the year, taking a look at some of the goals that I set, and really seeking to understand, Lord, what did you teach me this year? I do that by scrolling through my photo album on my phone, because my photo album usually captures most things that mattered to me. Because if something matters to me in my life, what do we do with it now? We take a picture of it. So I scroll through my photos. I scroll through some emails. I look through my calendar. I spend probably, you don't have to do this, I probably spend somewhere between 8 and 12 hours over the break spending time just looking at the year before and saying, God, what was to be learned? What was to be gleaned? What was to be taken forward? And it's a, it's a practice that not everybody does. Some people think that's a little weird, a little excessive, and that's fine. Uh, but that's how I work. That's how the Lord works in me. And so I came across one memory. Uh, that I want to share with you. And this memory comes from June 21st. Uh, I was out on a kayak with my cousin in eastern Washington on Lake Inyat, which is just north of Wenatchee. And you can see down here in the bottom just kind of the map of the area as my little kayak route around what's called Turtle Island. And my cousin and I, Josh, were out for that day. Josh is an Orthodox Christian, which means he's a part of the the very earliest roots of the church. He's very monastic. He's got a very, very long beard. He's very reflective and very contemplative. And Josh is really good for me. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. But he and I were on this paddle together. And the wind was blowing hard. We got out there, the wind was not blowing hard, and the wind started blowing harder. And it was blowing us north up the river. So we were going pretty fast. I just kind of started here and went counterclockwise. We were moving pretty fast as we went that way. And as we got around the backside of Turtle Rock, Turtle Island, everything calmed down. Because the, the, the island is, is there. You can see it in the back of the picture. Uh, it's a big island, and so it's a windbreak. 
And so we paddled out to that place and we stopped. Everything became very, very still. And Josh paddled out 30 or 40 yards ahead of me. And this is what I recorded shortly after in my journal about that experience. Nestled into the desert landscape, silence and solitude consumed our experience. I paddled behind in the rippling wake of Josh's kayak. He dipped his blades into the still water three times on each side, sat back, rested, and drifted. Josh is skilled in the art of stillness and contemplation. He resumed his cycle, and I settled into the ease of a synchronized rhythm. As I followed Josh, I heard Jesus from John five nineteen. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. It was one of the most profound moments of my year. And for whatever reason, every year I go on this kayak journey and God speaks to me right about in this space. I go there every year and right about here I spend an hour or two and I just listen. And God speaks to me. He's done that every year after year after year. It's a special place. It makes me wonder where some of the special places that you have are. Where do you go that you know God will speak to you? I believe he does that. That there's spaces and and places that we dedicate to him and he will speak to us. But I settled into that rhythm and it's interesting that three blade dips on either side with a kayak and a drift is like six days of a week and then rest and God carries us. And then he'd dip his blades in the cool waters again six times, three on each side and he'd drift and he'd rest. And I probably watched this cycle from 30 or 40 yards Five or six or seven times. And the Lord said, that. Just settle into what I'm doing. It was much easier. I didn't even have to think for myself. I just followed him and what he was doing. That doesn't mean turn your brains off. But it does mean that like, God will lead us if we let him lead us. And so I caught up to Josh. And, and we're having this conversation as we're paddling back. Kind of into the wind now. It's less still. We're paddling back through the wind. Going south on the river. And what I said to Josh is, Josh, more than just about anyone, you are coolant in my engines. I run hot. I love to go. I love to be. I love to do. And Josh loves to be still. And I said, you cool me down. He goes, well, you're like a spark plug for my engine because sometimes I don't get up going enough. I just end up collecting moss like a rock because I'm so still all the time. And we're paddling back thinking, isn't it God good that God makes us the way that he does, that we're different, that I can be a spark plug in his engine and he can be the coolant in mine. But we had that chance to spend time together and dedicate 2020, this time that we're spending over 21 days together, is an invitation. It's not a mandate. Please don't feel burdened if you don't know how to fast or pray or want to at this season. It's not a mandate, but an invitation from Jesus to follow him into quiet spaces, like behind a big old rock in the middle of the Columbia River. It's a chance for us to silence the noise for 21 days, to just bring things down a little bit, to drink from the deep, to increase our awareness of his presence and do as he does. Not necessarily how I would do it. So the goal for us in the next few weeks of this fast especially in our next two teachings over the next two weeks, is to provide each of us with an opportunity to, again, reflect on our own devotional practices. What do I do with Jesus? That's something that a mature 
disciple of Jesus should know like that. And it can change over time. But right now, as a disciple of Jesus, what am I doing? What are my practices to connect with him? And then we're going to consider together how fasting can enhance the intimacy that we have in that relationship with Jesus. Enhance it, but not pollute it. Because fasting can pollute, and we'll talk about that today. My fear during 21 days of fasting, not just for you, but primarily for me, uh, is that fasting has the opportunity to drive us further away from Jesus than closer to him because it's another religious exercise. Oh gosh, I got to not eat or I got to not do this. Or fasting can be like flossing. Like, ah, every time I get to the dentist, I'm like, ah, I could have done a better job of that over the last six months. And so I don't want to go to the dentist and I kind of feel bad, you know, guilt or I didn't eat my vegetables or I didn't go to the gym enough or I didn't get, get to church enough. Uh, what I, I hear that more and more, and I just want to keep letting us know that, like, remember that the church is a with and not a to. And every once in a while, if you miss being here on a Sunday, don't feel bad. Just, just call somebody. <laughs> Connecting community. Talk to Jesus somehow. But fasting can be about the should more than the could. I should fast. Ugh. Or, you know what? I could fast and get closer to Jesus. Could is about opportunity. Should is about shame. Always. Think about the words that we use. It's so easy for these spiritual disciplines that we have to become uh, like an opportunity to embrace the rules. Like, I want to make sure I get it all right and read every devotion every day for 21 days. And if I don't, I stop because I failed. You might not even know that there's a devotion and we're five days in. Forget the first four. Just start today. Do whatever you can do now. If you get four out of 21 days where you were more focused on Jesus, that might be four more than you were going to do if you hadn't even tried. Do that. Let grace lead the way. Don't let the rules allow the relationship to get chucked to the curb. Right? That's important. I want to share with you, I think this is really important, my disclaimer about prayer and fasting. Um, You may know this already. Prayer isn't my greatest discipline. (laughs) My team knows that. Uh, scheduling time for prayer and fasting is even further down uh, my list of practice disciplines. But you know what? I desire for these practices to hold a more prominent place in my life. I really do. That's a desire. So it's something that I'm choosing to pursue within the context of grace, which means it's not going to be perfect ever. But I'm going to pursue more time and stillness this year. As I look back at my goals for 2019, I was pleasantly surprised that by grace I met most of them. And it wasn't, and I had forgot that I said them. And so all the more it was like, oh, good. By God's grace, these things come about as we ask Him for His help. Deeper intimacy with Jesus is the goal. When I arrived at South Ever 18 months ago, I. Uh, had a driving conviction about discipleship. And it was this. You've heard me say it, that discipleship is driven on the vehicle of mission. That's what somebody who's a goer says all the time. We grow as disciples as we do and serve for the kingdom. Right? But my, my cousin Josh might say something different. Ryan Sims and Chris Nixon might have something to add to that, which I'm most thankful, very thankful for everyone, most thankful uh, in this season for a contribution that they have made that has enhanced my understanding of how we get to discipleship. It sounds like this now. Discipleship is driven on the vehicle of prayer and mission. Because some of us can get way ahead of Jesus 
But Jesus modeled both practices with magnificent grace. He found time to get away. In fact, next week, we're going to have a message called uh, Straying from the Herd. It's going to be all about Jesus and getting alone. But Jesus was able to get alone, and then he was able to do magnificent things. But he needed both of them. He needed both of them. So we're going to talk more about that. But as you consider your habits, we're going to take Jesus at his word that he will challenge us in those habits to make them fresh. That's where we're going today a little bit. Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll be, specifically in verses 14 through 17. I've entitled this message, Breaking Bad. I tried to watch that show and I I just couldn't. It was just, it was intense. It was a lot. But it's popular in culture. So I looked up Breaking Bad in the Urban Dictionary this week, and it defines Breaking Bad as the choice to challenge conventional ways of doing things. It's the choice to defy authority and skirt along the edges of the law. That's what it means in the Urban Dictionary to break bad. Um, So I, I think Jesus broke bad sometimes because he would skirt around the edges of everything. Jesus challenged the general conventions of the day. He defied authority a lot. Jesus broke bad. I don't even know if that was a term back then. Probably not. I don't know what it is in the Hebrew or the Greek. But Jesus was a guy that broke bad a little bit. I want to tell you about this. He did it while being submitted, however, to the Holy Spirit. Jesus was submitted to the Spirit when he broke bad. N.T. Wright wrote a book called The Challenge of Jesus. It's one of my favorites. And basically, the idea behind it is the question, does Jesus challenge your faith, or does he justify it? Does he say, oh, everything you've always done is just fine so that we can keep floating along, or does Jesus challenge our faith? Does he challenge our practices? Does he come back again and again and say, is this still connecting with my heart, or is it just a practice in your head? Do I have your heart? Jesus, I believe, is always doing this as we consider our own devotional practices in our prayer life. What's our prayer life like? These are devotional practices. In our scripture reading, in our devotional plans, what's that like? What's my relationship with his church like? This is a devotional practice, just being here together today. What are my faith practices around the concepts of generosity with, with finances and then also our relationships. What are our habits around repentance? Which is just to say that we're sorry and we're going to change. What's our habit around that? What's our habits around the practices of forgiveness? Which means to release somebody else from a burden that they've brought against us. Think about these things. Where are we? What's our practice concerning our motivation in serving others? Serving others can be very self-focused sometimes. So the Lord is always asking us to check these things. And I will submit to you that Jesus challenges everything when I give him space to do so. When I open up myself and say, search me, O God. If there's anything in me that's ill-fitting or not right, remove it from me. Help me to change my mind and go the other direction. Because all of these practices, if we do them over and over and over, can become so routine. That it's a chance for us in this Dedicate series to still the noise and say, God, what would you have for me in these things now? He challenges everything when I give him space to do so. Never more so than when I investigate the Gospels. Because in my investigation of the Gospels, even this week, I'm like, man, Jesus is challenging everybody on everything. He's breaking bad all over the place. But he's submitted to the Spirit when he does it. 
when I provide him space for time in prayer, when I live in accountable relationships with other people, we see as we look at the Gospels that Jesus, I love this, he comes off as a little bit irreverent sometimes. He frustrated the church people all the time. He challenged places where established patterns of comfort and control had just settled in. And the gospel writers depict Jesus as a rule breaker. We're going to talk about that in Matthew chapter 9. He broke the bad rules. He broke the rules that were keeping cages around people's hearts. If there was a rule that was set in place that kept people far from Jesus, he broke the rule. He broke the rules. Sometimes we get so familiar with the scripture that we forgot that he was breaking the rules. But he breaks the rules. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus forgives a paralyzed man for his sins and restores his health. This is in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through verse 8. But, you know, this wasn't a big deal. The priests did this all the time. The priests were always forgiving sin. But Jesus was doing it, one, away from the temple... There was no temple involved in any of this. So the temple authorities weren't there and animal sacrifices weren't happening, which were the requirements for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was just doing it out in the street, breaking the rules. Hey, brother, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. (gasps) All the rule keepers were like, he broke the rules. He's subverting authority. Kill him, right? Jesus breaking bad. And so when the authorities came to him, he said, well, okay, all right, so if you don't believe that I can forgive sins, maybe I'll just, you know, hey, brother, get up and walk. Which was easier, fellas, to forgive this guy's sins? But I will show you, get up and walk, I will show you the authority that I have as the Son of God. Because only God can forgive sins. So Jesus was saying something. He was saying something about who he was. Only God could do this. Jesus, the rule breaker. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. That's the next thing he does after he breaks the rule about forgiveness. He eats with unclean, unsaved people. And the religious leaders go, (gasps) there he goes, breaking bad again. Jesus defying authority, eating with people who are honest about their shortcomings. How refreshing is that? Eating with people who recognize their need for a savior, demonstrating what it looks like to be patient with people in their process. I told you, I have this raging Pharisee inside me that when the rules get broke, I go, (gasps) inside. I try to submit that to Jesus. That raging Pharisee in the van on the way to Seattle the other day was going nuts because I just want all these kids fixed. What does fixed mean? That they behave like me. I don't even like how I behave half the time, so I don't know what... What if I wanted him to behave like Jesus? And what if there was time to get him there by just being present, by listening to students who unfortunately one was arrested last week on accident, detained for 20 minutes at gunpoint. I can't fix that. But I can be present and hopeful with them when they say, I still want to be in law enforcement. Whew. Right? Other kids that talk about music careers that they want to advance in. Other kids that talk about wanting to be mentors and teachers. And yeah, the stuff that was going on on the YouTube clips on every phone in the van, it was like, the Lord's like, just be present. 
Just put your raising Pharisee back in your pocket. Jesus broke the rules all the time. Then Jesus responded to questions about fasting. That's what he did next. Let's read Matthew 9, 14 and 15. This is immediately after he heals the guy and forgives the guy. Immediately after he ate with the sinners and the tax collectors. Then John's disciples came to him and asked, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, Well, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. A few observations. John's disciples. Who are these guys, John's disciples? This is still very early on in the Gospels. The first disciples, Peter and Andrew, had been called. Matthew had been called. But not all the disciples had been called yet. Jesus had not yet sent the 12 or the 72. He's still in his draft. Like a fantasy football draft. Jesus just drafting his team. Right? He's pulling his team together. And so, there were some disciples that hadn't been called yet, and some were still coming from John. Well, who was John? Remember, we talked about at Christmas, the son of Zachariah and Elizabeth, Jesus' cousin. This is John the Baptist, the miracle baby born to a faithful couple, a faithful old couple who were without any children. A miracle baby came. And then it says as he went on in life that he lived on the edge out in the desert. That's where John the Baptist was. He wore funny clothes. He ate funny things. But he had this message that compelled people to go on a journey to the edge to see him. Because the words were familiar. Make straight the path. Prepare the way for the Lord. All the good faithful Jews knew that Isaiah had said that 700 years earlier. And they were waiting They were waiting for a disciple. They were waiting for a rabbi, someone to lead them forward. And they went to see, is it John? And they get to John and John says, no, but repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because I come carrying the sandals of one that I am not even fit to carry his sandals. Because he's the savior of the world and you follow him now. So in the midst of this, John still had disciples, but he was sending them towards Jesus. And the question comes to Jesus from John's disciples, many of whom would become Jesus' disciples. Hey, Jesus, you know, the way you live, live out your faith looks pretty different than what we're used to. That's what he's saying. What I'm seeing from you doesn't square with what I got taught in rabbi school. It's just it's a little different. Why aren't you fasting like the teachers and the priests? Why aren't you doing this? Let's pause. Let's leave that question hanging in the air for just a moment and talk about fasting. Fasting is an Old Testament practice that was established during the desert wanderings of the people of Israel. When they were out there with Moses, with Aaron, this is all recorded in the book of Leviticus Leviticus, by the way, tough book to read, but what it does is answers all the questions about how we engage with God on the go. Leviticus was establishing all the practices to help people know how to interact with God from the point at Mount Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments, all the way to the Promised Land when Joshua let him in. Leviticus is just, how do I engage with God on the go? So there's still actually some really good stuff for us in Leviticus about interacting with God. Only one time, this is important to know, only one time did God ever require, require his people to fast. 
Only one time, and that is the Day of Atonement, which is also recorded in the book of Leviticus. The Day of Atonement is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar and still celebrated today as Yom Kippur. You might understand that day. It's celebrating the Day of Atonement. Let's read Leviticus 23, 26-32 about this day. Then the Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement or covering is made for you before the Lord your God, those who do not deny themselves on that day will be cut off from the people. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does not, who does work on that day. You shall not work on that day. Do you think Jesus wanted us to work on that day? This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come, hence Yom Kippur in 2020, wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe the Sabbath, Leviticus 26, 26, sorry, it's 23, 26 to 32. The entire temple on the Day of Atonement or the entire, the entire place, the holy place, where nobody went except for the high priest once a year. This whole place was cleansed. We have a picture of it. Last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Zechariah going into the temple. Well, this is the tabernacle. This is the mobile version of the temple before the temple existed. Like You know how we went traveling on the road as a set-up teardown church for 15 weeks over the course of the summer and into the fall? Imagine that for 40 years, setting up, tearing down, different place in the desert all the time. But this is what the Lord set up, and this is what became the temple. But all of this was cleansed. This is where animal sacrifice was made. You can see the temple coverings in the curtains around the edges. And at the top you can see inside the temple, the Holy of Holies, the ark and the veil and the altar of incense and the lampstands and the holy place. All of that was there and all of it was cleansed on the Day of Atonement because this is where sacrifice was made for sin. We just did it here at Communion. This is how it used to be, but there was a whole mess, a whole mountain of animal carcasses out in the courtyard. Because something had to die for us to be forgiven. The day of atonement. The day of fasting. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And the people would wait as he offers sacrifices. One for his family, for him and his family. And then two for the nations of Israel. There were sacrifices, burnt sacrifice offerings, sin offerings. You can read all about those different kinds of offerings. But the priest went in there to offer for the people. And he couldn't offer for the people until he'd made been right, been made right with, with the Lord himself. This was Aaron, the first priest. So as a part of this 24-hour practice, it says that the Jewish people were supposed to afflict themselves. Anah is the word in the Hebrew. To afflict themselves. It means don't eat. It means sacrifice something of yourself. Forgo the consumption of food for a day so that you can get some things figured out with the Lord. Fasting today needs to be attached to our need for God's help. That's why we fast. We're recognizing that we can't do it on our own. 
We need the Lord to step in. So we're going to fast. We're going to afflict ourselves. We're going to deny, deny ourselves something for the sake of our faith and our walk with Jesus. This happened with Old Testament leaders. It happened with David in repentance after sinning with Bathsheba. The word says that he fasted and prayed. It happened with Ezra. Before the people of Israel returned from exile, it says that Ezra gathered the people together and said, let's fast for three days before the Lord sends us back. Although it wasn't required in the New Testament, this is what we're seeing now, not required, no required fast from Jesus. He doesn't require it, but he speaks to it. And he doesn't actually even rebuke the Pharisees for fasting. That's not the problem. It wasn't that they were fasting that was the problem. Is they'd forgotten about things like grace and mercy. That's what he was upset about. He goes, you keep all these traditions and these rules, and you wear all these buttons on your, your shirt, and you wear them like this so people can see that you did good, right? It's not a problem that you fast. It's a problem that you forgot why you did it because the outcomes stink. Where's the mercy? Where's the grace in your life? Post-Jesus, in the early New Testament church, Paul and Barnabas were commissioned by a church who was praying and fasting as he sent them. There is a biblical mandate for fasting, but it's not required. There's some truth, there's some grace in this. Only required on the Day of Atonement, which is still required for the Jews to fast on Yom Kippur. It's a regular practice, but in Jesus' day, it had simply lost its power. See, Jesus came to challenge John's disciples. They came and asked him a question. He challenged them. He came to challenge the Pharisees concerning their religious practices that had just become a little too comfortable, a little too controlling. It's a call for us once a year to just be like, has anything in my devotional practice ended up like the fasting of the Pharisees? Out of my devotional practice, maybe it's just coming here on Sundays. I just come because I'm supposed to. I'm a good Christian. Why do you come? Why do you pray? Why do you read? Why do you be generous? Like to reinvestigate these things to make sure that they haven't become too comfortable, too controlling. These Pharisees, Jesus says in the story, these guys were fasting on the Day of Atonement, but they were fasting two other times a week also. So they were required to do it once, and they did it 104 more times that year just for fun. Right? Jesus said once, and they said, well, we'll, we'll, take, we'll see you, and we'll raise it 104 times, and we'll hold it over people's heads. And I can imagine it's like the little kid that, you know, we have little kids in our lives. Watch me, Daddy. Watch me, Daddy. Watch me, Daddy. Watch. Watch. How many times they want us to watch the same thing again to earn approval. It was like the Pharisees are like these little kids that are like, watch me, Dad. Watch. 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 I'm a fast 104 times. Watch. You know? And Jesus is like, I love you anyways. Just stop it. You're making me tired. <laughs> we say that to our kids, don't we? Stop it. We're tired right now. I've seen that. And back to the question that's been hanging in the air. Jesus, why do you do it differently than we do it? Jesus first reminds them of the present hour. He goes, you guys don't even got this right right now. You have God right in front of you. And you can't even see him. It's a party time, bro. I'm with you. This is a feast. I'm with you. When I'm gone, then mourn. But I'm with you. You can't even see that I'm with you even in the midst of your fasting. This is not a season for self-denial, although that will come. This is a season for celebration. He reminds them of the present hour. Secondly, he shares with them this analogy found in Matthew nine sixteen and 17. The last part of this passage. 
Jesus says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins so that both are preserved. Think through this, right? An unshrunk cloth shrinks when it gets wet. So if you put an unshrunk cloth on, a, on an old garment and it gets wet, it shrinks and tears away. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Why would you do that? Or this idea about old wineskins. When they had wineskins, because they kept them in skins, unfermented wine expands. And so a wineskin can only hold it once because it's expanding. And once it's done, if you put wine in it again, new wine in old wineskins, new practices from Jesus, new challenges from Jesus, and old practice sets, it's going to expand and won't hold it. He's saying you have to get a new case. You have to take your practices and renew them. The old ones were good, but guess what? They're old. I'm doing a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. It's okay that our devotional practices don't look the same every year. It's okay to read a different Bible plan or give to a different ministry or spend your time differently. Different is good. Changing things up is good because it keeps us fresh. If Jesus challenges us and we come to him with the same things we came to him with before, it will burst. So the question here as we close is, do we believe that God wants to do something in us that's new this year? That's what 21 days is about. It's intentionally saying, because we know what happens if we, if we just keep going, we just do the same thing, same rhythm, 365 days, Merry Christmas, 2021. Did anything change? It takes intentional effort to carve a new path. That's why we have 21 days to say, God, what do you want to do that's different this year? Do we believe that he wants to increase our understanding of his kingdom, his plans, his purposes? Fasting to begin a year isn't a religious exercise necessarily, but it runs the risk of becoming one. Fasting to begin the year is a way for us to ask God to recalibrate our thinking, to help us think differently so that we can receive the new things that he has for us. So the question is, what does fasting provide for me? If I'm going to do it, I better have a pretty good reason. For me, fasting provides an awareness of my limitations. It humbles my God complex. When I don't eat... And I'm not like this full faster. I've had some food in the last few days. I ease into this because for me, as someone who deals with unhealthy eating habits, if I just made this about not eating, I wouldn't even be thinking about Jesus. I'd just be thinking about not eating and be mad at people. My practice, one, I just, I just cut some stuff. Like I just cut processed sugars. That's really hard because I remember Jesus every time I go to the cupboard for that M&M's for the... For the Swedish fish, the candy cane, like I go to sugar a lot, folks, <laughs> because I'm aware when I go to sugar. I mean, I've got a, a, a mouthful full of M&Ms on July for, or January 1st. I'm like, oh. I didn't spit them out or freak out. I was just like, I'm not doing that. But I'm getting better. Social media, just cut it for 21 days. How many times have I gone on my phone to toggle over to that space to find that it? Oh, yeah, I took it off there. Reminds me how many times I go to this thing. 10, 12, 15 times that first day, gone. It just becomes such a thing that I did. So what have I done? I've denied myself 
any food throughout the day until lunchtime. That has been ridiculously hard for me. It's getting a little better. So this week, guess what? I'm going to work on fasting breakfast and lunch. Now, do this within, if you do this, do it within the, the, the consult of your dietitian because that's not just safe for everyone to do without getting consult. But it's something I'm choosing to do. What's your fast going to look like? It doesn't have to look like that. But I'm going to keep afflicting myself a little bit because it reminds me that I'm limited. Without God, I am limited. I can do all things if I try hard enough. No. But that's how I live my life. I can do all things if I try hard enough. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it gives me an awareness of my limitations. Fasting gives me clarity. It reduces things for me. There's less to fill my time. I'm embarrassed how much time I spend flipping through social media. It fills, you only have so much space for things. I'm breathing better, not looking at social media. That it's giving me more space. Not eating breakfast gives me more time. Not looking through the cupboard gives me more time. It gives me more ability to focus on Jesus, less to consume. All of this is about consumption for me. I consume too much, too much media, too much food, too many people, too many relationships. I want to fill myself. And the Lord says, deny yourself. Let me fill some of those spaces. Leave a space for me, Chris Pepp, or just leave a little space so that you can focus on me. That provides that for me. And thirdly, it increases my dependency on Jesus. My mantra when I am so, it's like 10, 20 is like the worst time I am right now because I'm so hungry. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what, all of a sudden, where's my focus gone? Not from the cupboard, not from the goodies. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from God. What are you saying right now? It, and then three minutes and I'm back doing, I'm working, I'm living life and you know, I'm doing what we do, but it just continues to provide these little nuggets of space. And then when I do eat, I'm grateful for food because right now there's no place to be grateful for it. I just use it to shove my emotions. Like that's, that's me. Sorry. It's who I am. All right. It's not who I am. I'm not that, but I struggle with that sometimes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This changes me, this process. Whatever we got to do to afflict ourselves a little bit, let's do that. But let's do it intentionally together to the best of our ability in the strength that he gives us to do this together. If you haven't started yet, just start today. If you're into something, go ahead. It's okay to share it with each other. I know the Bible says don't like make a big deal when you fast. So don't make a big deal of it. Just find some accountability in it because we're doing this together. So let's practice some more this week. Next week, between Monday the 13th and the following Sunday, we're going to go through a devotional book together. Something that Trevor Loya and his team put together at at Terrace Foursquare, one of our partnering congregations. We were sharing it together. We're going to go through that seven-day thing together. So this week's a little bit more on our own. We'll come together next week. We'll do that devotional practice the week following. There's information on the back about the dedicate fast. This is also in your email. If you don't get an email from me every week, let me know because you do get one. It comes from me. It goes to you. If you're not receiving it for some reason, let me know. But the email that I sent on New Year's Day 
about Dedicate has the link both to the Foursquare site with all the information about the daily emails that you can be sent to be praying with the global Foursquare church. It also has information on this on our website. But dig in. Let's do this together. Let's start the year and ask God to do great things in us. Let's consider maybe being a part even once a month or twice a month with the prayer gathering on Tuesday nights. At, sometimes it's at the Hubers. Sometimes it's at uh, the Groves house. It, it moves around. But we want, to, we want to see discipleship happen through prayer and through mission. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time today. Thank you for your goodness. We love you, God. We, we thank you that you give us times to deny ourselves. Lord, you say all the more, Lord, we might fast once a year, but every day in your word, you say that a disciple picks up his cross and denies himself and follows after Jesus. Lord, we want to be people like that. Lord, help us not be religious in our fasting, Lord, but as we look at our spiritual disciplines of prayer and generosity and fellowship and scripture study and outreach, as we look at these practices that we we hold to, make them fresh. Lord, give us grand ideas this year to do something maybe entirely different. Lord, but forgetting what is behind, we've, we've, we've reflected, we've looked, we've considered what was before, we, we remember what is ahead, and we press forward to take the prize that you've called us to pursue in Christ Jesus. So we look forward. Lord, may your spirit fall upon your church. Give us clarity and direction. Thank you for this wonderfully uh, improving space that we get to worship in. Lord, we pray for our partnering relationships. Lord, we pray for our students. We pray that we might just be a church that's different. Lord, a gathering of people that call ourselves your kids. Might, like, Lord, what do you want to do with us? We seek you in prayer and through fasting and through denial of self. Lord, we don't have to be just like what we're supposed to be. We can be a church that's living and active that gathers here, but really is it's what's happening in the lives of these kids, um, all the kids. Lord, this next generation, we want to commit ourselves to that. We need your help to know how. So, Lord, show us that in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. Go Hawks. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.